may have known, this has been a really tough year for me this year. Uh, my best friend, Carrie Georgie, had passed away in March. Uh, she lost her battle with cancer. And uh, it basically turned my world upside down. She um, was not only my best friend for 30 years, but we had served together in women's ministry for about 15 years. So needless to say, it's been quite an adjustment for me. But you know, sometimes God puts us in those situations because I've had to do a lot of evaluation. I've had a lot of times that I've just had to be before God, seeking His face, and asking him, what, you know, where do I go from here? So I've done reevaluation in my own personal life. I've been doing reevaluation in the women's ministry. And there was one thing that the Lord made very, very clear to me about the women's ministry, that we were to walk alongside the men's ministry, very much like how a godly wife would walk alongside her husband. You know, and it hasn't always been that way. I think there's always been an undercurrent of competition there. You know, but God really convicted my heart on that. And he says, you need to walk alongside of them as a wife is called to walk along, alongside of her husband. And so that means that we are committed to praying for you. We are going to be supporting you. And we want to be your greatest advocate. That's my heart's desire. And I know when I shared that with Hyung, I mean, we were both really excited about what God was going to be doing in both the men's and, and women's ministry. So being the director, being a woman, being a, uh, the director of the women's ministry, I know women very well. But it is this man's world that is a bit more foreign to me. Uh, I had grown up in a divorced home, and although my dad uh, is a loving father, okay, so he's not one of those, you know, guys who that I don't respect. I love my father. I respect him. But you know, honestly, because of the divorce, he wasn't around a lot. And I didn't have any brothers. I have one now, but he's 20 years my junior, so when I was growing up, he wasn't there. Um, but there, so there was myself, my two sisters, and my mom. So we were an all-gals house. So I'm very familiar with the curling irons, the makeup, the clothes, <laughs> the talking on the phone for hours, the convincing with my friends. That I know very well. But the man's world is completely foreign to me. But God didn't want me to be ignorant any longer. So he brought into my life a husband and son. Now I tell you something about my husband. I met him when I was uh, at the end of my 17th year. Uh, we started dating about when we turned 18, but end of 17th year. And I was very, uh, he just captured my attention because he was very much a leader, very strong in what he believed. He was kind of like that John Wayne type, except shorter. You know, man's man mentality. And, you know, so it just really it, it intrigued me. Very confident. Uh, and, and, I, and at the same time, though, as we started, you know, dating and things get more familiar, uh, you know, I then the things that I admired, I started, it started bugging me, right? Because I wanted him to be more like me. Sweet and kind and tender. I don't know if I'd like that anymore, but I was then. Uh, but you know, so God through the years has really taught me, and He had to teach me. This was a lesson. This wasn't something that just came naturally. To appreciate what Terry brought into my life as a man. Okay, Terry brought something in that only a man could bring in. And, you know, He taught me how to be confident and strong 
in Christ as a Christian. He had um, shown me what it's like to have a tender heart towards God, but to to have a to be like a soldier, you know, not to give up. And these are some of the masculine. In fact, his grandfather, who was also one of man's man, um, you know, his one of his sayings was. Uh, it, it's easy to be a Christian if you are one, but you have to have a, a backbone like a crowbar. I mean, they, these are kind of the masculine, masculine qualities that I really began to appreciate, and they brought value into my life. That's my husband. Now my sons. Now my sons, Caleb now is 16 years old, and Jacob is 12, and uh, they kind of brought me into this man's world from ground zero. Okay? So here I enter into this world of curiosity, you know, this, this, this syndrome of, I wonder what will happen if I do this. So we have found <laughs> peanut butter jelly sandwiches in the VCR. We have, I've had five pounds of sugar spread all over the kitchen floor so they could slide on it. Uh, I have had them pile up a bunch of fireworks together and light them all at the same time because they were curious to see what would happen if we did this. So, you know, it's stuff like this. And then um, another thing that I find very curious is that although, you know, especially moms, we don't really like those violent weapons and toys, right? But you know what I found very interesting? That it doesn't matter because it's something in a boy, it's something in a guy. You don't have to have those toys. They will make them. I mean, it could, be, it could be a carrot, a piece of bread that, you know, like, I remember my son kind of bit a piece off, and he was like, hey, you know, and it was like shaped like a gun. So it was bang, bang. It could be a stick, you know, it could be um, any, their finger. So it, I found that very interesting. Um, also, everything has to be touched and hit and kicked and wrestled with. I mean, I mean, I'm in the kitchen, and, and those boys are running around. They're wrestling on the ground. Terry gets included in that, too. You know? And it's like, stop! Um, also, okay. Now, I don't understand this, but this, this world of flatulence. Of why is there continual burping and farting? I don't understand that. We had an all-girls home. We don't do those things. It's just, I, and I'm Uh, 
the most pivotal lesson I think I, I've learned is from Caleb. And about two years ago, he was about 14 years old, he had just gone through his puberty, so his, you know, his voice has changed, his body had changed, he's taller than me, and I remember we got into this real big altercation. And I just I was going on and on, saying, you know, you got to take care of these responsibilities, you have to be responsible, you know, don't, you, you've got to take care of business, you're going to be working at McDonald's for the rest of your life, if you don't do that, if any of you work at McDonald's, I didn't mean that as a, a slur or anything, but, you know, it was, I was just so frustrated. And all of a sudden, he just kind of turned around to me, and he just said, Mom, I hear you, I get it, now just give me some space. And at first I was like, I'll tell you when I'm going to give you some space. I'm your mother. Don't tell me when to give you space. No, I'll tell you what to do. That's not your place. But you know what? It was like God all of a sudden spoke to me. And I know it was him because that this thought would have never entered into my mind. But he said, give him room to become a man. Whoa. And I said, nothing. And I realized, I, I never, it never occurred to me. Caleb is becoming a man. You know, he needs uh, to be, have the room and the respect to become a man. And I think that's very foreign for us moms. And I realized that my role now was going to change. That was tough. And I, I, I was moving out of a particular role. I, well, let's say I will always have the role of being a nurturer, but as far as helping him be, to become a man. I can't do that. That's, that's Terry now is going to have the more prominent role into helping Caleb become a man. He is going to be the one that needs to teach him the masculinity. I can't do that. I'm not a man. Only a man can do that. And I'll tell you, there are you know, a lot of God boys out there who at this time don't have fathers. They need you guys to be the example, what does it look like to be a man and to become a man? So uh, I, I know that it's, a, it's kind of a tough time, this puberty thing for moms, because it does mean um, that we have to let go. And that's not an easy thing for moms. So today I'm going to be talking to you about not so much about what it means to be a man. Because I don't know what that means. That's something that men discuss between men, right? But I can tell you what a woman needs in a man and what a woman admires in a man. That I can tell you. Okay, but I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to I'm going to tell you those things through the story that I'm going to tell. You. And it was a, in my experience in Africa. I had always wanted to go whitewater rafting. Okay. And we got this opportunity to go whitewater rafting in uh, the Zambezi River in Zambia. And it was so exciting. So we, we went to, through this one company, um, and they, they got us all geared up. We had our, our life jackets on and our paddles. And we had to sit through this briefing. They told us, you know, all the basic things about whitewater rafting. So I go, okay, that sounds easy enough. That's great. Well, let's go. So we had to go walk down into the gorge, into this canyon, this steep. Uh, canyon. So we had to walk down, and um, on the way down, I turned to this guy and I go, oh, you know, by the way, what, what, what class is, is this? What class river is this? You know, because uh, I knew that class six was the highest class of whitewater rafting. 
And he goes, uh, I think it's five. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's five? I've never been in my water rafting. What? A, I, I thought it was a three. And he's like, okay, me like, what do you want me to do? You know, I'm trying to down? I don't know. And I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And I'm like, Jerry, Jerry, it's a five, it's a five. He's like, it's a five? Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So we get down, and immediately you see these rapids. We go down to the launching point, and it's called the boiling pot, okay? And that's what it looks like. It's just. So we get in, there's all these different boats that are going out, rafts that are going out. And my raft has all guys, myself, Terry, the guide, and four teenage boys. They were about 18, 19 years old. So we get in, and he starts to, you know, it, I mean, it's just loud. So he's yelling, the guide is yelling, okay, now listen, we've got to get over these rapids, okay? We've got to get across them. If we don't get across them, you see those rocks, that wall of rocks over there? We're going to go into them. We've got to get across. Now listen to me very carefully. When I say left, Everybody on the left, you've got to paddle forward. Those on your right, you've got to paddle backwards. If, you, if I say right, those on your right, you've got to paddle forward. If those on the left, you've got to paddle backwards. When I say left side, everybody go on the left side. When I say right side, everybody go on the right side. When I say forward, you go forward. When I say down, you get down. You hold on to your paddle. And you don't let go of it. All right? Let's go. I'm like, oh, my gosh. My Very, very adventurous, <laughs> scary. 
So we went down Jaws of Death, and that thing just took us, just flipped us right over. I mean, if you could see it, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to explain because it's just huge. And that, it just takes you and it tumbles you like you're a rag doll. So I get caught in front of the raft, okay, as it's going down, and the water is coming into my mouth, and I'm trying to get across, but the pressure is holding me to the front, right? And I mean, I must have swallowed half of the Zambezi River. <laughs> I, I just could not get a breath. It was coming into my mouth. And I was panicking. And all of a sudden, I just felt someone grab me in the back of my life jacket, and he just pulled me right over to him. And, and I looked, and it was one of the young guys, right? He looked at me, and he just saw my panic-ridden face. He goes, don't worry. He goes, I've got you. I've got you. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Right? And I just felt this relief. Like, he's got me. He's got me. And I'll tell you, that Ra's, in that Ra's most innate sense, I felt like this is what every woman desires in a man. The security. I felt safe. When he said those words, I've got you. I'm not letting you go. You're going to be okay. I just thought every woman wants to know that a man's word is his word. That he is who he says he is. That who he is in public is who he is in private. That he is going, he is not, his word is his word, you know? And I mean, I know that um, a lot of men might feel when we say security, they think of financial security, because that is a part of being a man to be the provider, right? So you think, gotta make sure that we have financial security. But I'll tell you, a, a woman, her security is very different uh, that she desires a man. We could call it trust, trustworthiness. Uh, we could call it loyalty. We could call it commitment. We could call it integrity. All that is wrapped up in what we call security. <laughs> A woman wants to have security in a man's character. That is the kind of security that she desires to have. Um, I've heard that. Uh, I've heard that at a men's meeting, you can always speak about a particular topic like sexual temptation, and know that almost every man is going to identify with that topic. Okay. Well, in a woman's meeting. We can talk about one topic and know that every woman is going to identify with that topic, and it's insecurity. That is her area of struggle. And it makes sense because I do believe that a woman's heart is a fragile thing. And it was made, it was meant to be protected and covered. Okay, that's the way that God made her. If we go back to Adam and Eve, we see that Adam was created to lead to subdue the earth. But a woman, she was created for relationship, okay? She has never known what it's like to be alone. When she was created, she was with Adam. It's, it, it's in her to, to want to have that relationship. And if you think about, because the, the Bible tells us that she was created from Adam's rib. Now think about the rib. The rib is taken from an inner part of a man, right? It's not taken from an external part of man. It's taken from an internal part of man. And the rib 
is, is the rib cage. If you think about the rib cage, it protects the vital organs, right? So she is made from a part that is meant to be protected, is made from protection. So she's made to be protected and to love, and to be loved. This is what a woman was made for. But because of the fall, because sin entered in, because there was a, a disobedience that occurred in the garden, there was a brokenness that occurred between man and woman. And we still feel those effects today, the brokenness between a man and a woman's relationship. I believe that God wants to bring that back and to restore that, especially as we come, become men and women who embrace Christ. He wants to restore what was meant to be. So um, deep down, I think every woman desires the security of a man, and God placed it in her. Okay. Now I want to talk to the single men. Where are you? <laughs> I want to talk to you for a minute because I want to let you know that you are also called to protect our single women. Okay. Not only physically, but relationally and spiritually. And I really am hoping to see this wall of fear and passiveness being broken down in pursuing women, okay? I do believe that it is a man's responsibility to pursue a woman, not a woman's job. This should be a man pursuing, okay? Um, and I understand that a lot of times, you know, there is this kind of apprehension and this, you know, fear of being able to do that because of our culture. Don't want to, you know, be able to be either rejected or come on too strong or, or what, whatever. But I do believe this is what you are called to do. Uh, I, I, why do you think, women, that we love the stories about the princess or the maiden and the prince and, and the hero pursuing and fighting for her? You know, this is something that we desire. Don't be afraid to do that. And I'll tell you what, if you feel like, well, you know, I've had experience before and, you know, she was going to be offended if I do that, well, then, you know what, that is her issue. You need to do what you are called to do as men, to be the pursuer, okay? And I'll tell you, if she has a problem with that, if she's offended, then she's not the one, so don't worry about it. <laughs> distrust 
I know that for many years I had a, a, my hand on my heart, and it took a long time for Terry to earn that trust in me, even being married. Um, God had to break down that fear in me. Somehow there was always a sense of me, in me that you, I will take care of myself because if he ever abandons me, I'm going to be okay. That's a totally the wrong attitude for us women to take. Terry had to really be patient and earn that trust and respect in, in me, and he did. But I'll tell you, a lot of it was God. A lot of it was God. I had to trust God first. That's always the root issue for us women. I realized that first I had to trust God, and when I trust God, I was enabled, I was able to trust my husband. Okay. So, getting back to the single men. In your pursuit, though, I really, I'm asking you to though, check your motives, to make sure that your motives are right. Okay, that your first responsibility is, I'm going to t protect that woman's heart. Okay, set a spiritual tone and not a sexual one. I think a lot of times, it's not said, but a man does expect a woman to kind of create the sexual boundaries and to create the sexual tone. I believe God wants to restore that, that that is going to be something that a man should be uh, looking at and leading, considering strongly leading that part of that dating relationship to be a spiritual one. <coughs> and um, I do believe this, that if a man in a dating relationship can set the spiritual tone, that when he gets married, he will have no problem becoming the head of that family, the spiritual head of that family. And in fact, he will earn what I believe every man desires from his wife, respect. There are two kinds of respect that I see. One that's given to you because of your role. Uh, a wife should respect her husband because that is his role. But then there's a respect that is earned. And that is something that comes in a person's character. Okay. So, single men, show our women that you have a heart after God, okay? that you have courage to pursue her, and that you have integrity to make her feel secure. So what is the one thing that a woman needs in a man? Security. Security, okay. So what does a woman now admire in a man? Okay, let's go back to my whitewater rafting, and I'll tell you about what I had seen in the men that I said, this is the one thing I just admire in men, that I saw. Okay, we came to another rapid called Midnight Dinner. Okay, and the guy said, okay, there's two ways to get down this rapid. The chicken way or the Star Trek way. To go where no man has ever gone before. <laughs> so I'm like, chicken! I'm going down the chicken way. That's, a, you know, I bonk, bonk, I don't care. And there was, in fact, there was another raft. I forgot to tell you this, but there's another raft behind us that uh, had almost all women in it. And when we had gone over that first boiling pot, you know, uh, rapid, you could hear her screaming her lungs out. Bloody murder. Like she was being killed. It was just horrifying. Well, I decided, I'm going in their raft. So I did. I jumped into their raft. We went down the chicken way. Terry and the other guys decided we're going to go for Star Trek. <laughs> so they go there. So we kind of come down. We kind of uh, moor our raft, and then we are watching them coming down. And I'm telling you, these rafts are huge. Okay? And so we see them coming down. And they're and they're just they're trying to navigate. They're just like you can see them, just like put all their face just into it, paddling, paddling. 
And then I'll say, you see them go down into this cavern of, of water. And Terry said, when he looked up, they just saw a, a literal wa a wall, a 12-foot wall of water. And they said, we're dead. You know? But from our vantage point, we just see them go down, and then we see nothing for like three seconds. And all of a sudden, you see their raft just shoot up. Right? And no one's in it. And we're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't see them. We're like, where are they? Where are they? Right? And also you see them like popping up here and there and they're just kind of coming down. You just have to go with the river. There's nothing you can do. Wherever you are, you're just like flailing around. So they come come down. And finally they get back, their their raft is turned over again and they get back in. And they're coughing and sputtering, and all of a sudden they look at each other, right? And they're like, yeah! <laughs> yeah! Right? And they get their paddles, and they're high-fiving, tapping <laughs> it on the river, and they're just like doing their whooping. But, you know, and I'm like, and I could feel the adrenaline, right? And I was just like, yeah! I was like clapping for them. I was so excited for them. And I just saw that, you know, it wasn't that the fear was gone. But they had, had done everything they could to conquer that fear. They went for it. And I thought, this is what a woman admires in a man. That he has courage and that he is called to conquer. He's called to take up challenge. He's called to have vision. So I just, you know, I ask you, man, what, you know, what stirs your soul? What makes you come alive? I saw those men when they were coming down, you know, the, the, the challenge of it made them come alive. They were alive. I, and I was thinking, man, what is it in you personally that makes you come alive, that you know who you are called to be, you know, that, that it stirs your soul? This is what one of the to see, that a man is alive with called pornography. And it comes to you like a Trojan horse, because it looks like a gift. But you open it up, and inside there's an army that wants to destroy you. Okay? It will rip away your integrity. It will take away your ability to cherish, to honor, respect women. But most of all, it will hinder God's ability to use you. And uh, if you want, it wants you to lead. It wants you to lead a double life. And we know that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and a man divided will fall. Um, pornography is done in secret, and what is done is in secret is done in darkness. And you have to understand the spiritual realm. What is done in darkness belongs to the adversary. Any part of your life that has darkness in it, the adversary has complete authority over that area of your life. Why? Because he is the ruler of darkness. You allow something dark in your life, he says, I have complete authority. But God is the God of light, and whatever is brought out into the light, then God has that last say. So if this is an area of darkness in your, in your life, I encourage you men to get it out into the light. Don't make it a, a secret part of, of your life. It will, it will hinder you. And I know that Kyung, we, we have, the, there's the, the, uh, the Avenue Ministry. That is something that you should consider if this is become an addiction in, in your life. If it has not become an addiction in your life, then you need to really ask God to help you have self-control, that when you see a particular site,
that comes up, you just say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to open it up. I will have self-control in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to do it. Okay. I want you to listen to me very carefully here. Pornography is an illusion. It will give you a temporary rush of making you feel like you are a real man, but in reality, it is spiritually castrating you. Okay. You've got to see it for what it is. Don't think that this is my temporary thrill and no one has to know. There's something that's happening in the spiritual realm that is trying to rob you. That Trojan horse must be conquered and destroyed and cut out from your life. Okay, the final hidden enemy to be conquered is pride. And pride will keep you thinking that you can do this all on your own. That you don't need anybody to tell you what to do. That you don't need to ask for directions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, um, but I want you to know, seriously though, that um, you have to know that he who thinks he stands, you've got to be careful, you've got to beware, lest you fall. Okay? Pride will keep you unteachable, unaccountable, and unusable. So it's very important to, like, what you're doing here, this is so great to see you, you guys together. Because this is saying, I want to be teachable. I want to learn. I want to grow. Take advantage of all the men's events that, that are coming up and going on, of gatherings like this, of small groups. Get involved, okay? It will strengthen you as men. That's what you even see, like in the war, you know, like when you watch those war movies, I love those war movies. I don't like the gore, but I love the, the, the teaching you get for, about leadership and about the camaraderie that, that men have as they fight together. That is the same thing that goes on when you, you come together as men. There is a war together. You need to have that support from one, an one another to fight it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I also believe that in conquering this pride, you need to learn how to submit to authority. Okay? Um, for those who have leadership over you. Because in order for you to learn to lead well, you have to learn how to follow well. And when we are able to submit every part of our life um, to him, uh, every bit of pride, every bit of area that is in, in darkness, and I believe that God, that we will be able to submit our whole life to God. And God then is able then to do something very powerful within us. Okay. Um, you're called to conquer these forces. All right. To stand up. I love this verse of 1 Samuel 4. To stand up and fight ye like men. In Romans 8.37 it says that we are to be more than a conqueror. God wants to restore what he has put in you as men. Um, I want to read this one quote from Oz Guinness' book, The Call, because I want you to be thinking about what is God stirring in you to become, and what do you, what is it going to take in you to become more like a conqueror? What is he calling you to? Okay? Uh, Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Call, and here's an excerpt from it. From the secret of a man's being, I'm sorry, for the secret of a man's being is not only to live, but to live for something definite. Deep in our hearts, we want to find and fulfill a purpose bigger than ourselves. Only such a larger purpose can inspire us to heights we know we could never reach on our own. For each of us, the real purpose is personal and passionate. 
to know what we are here to do and why. Capitalism, for all its creativity and fruitfulness, falls short when challenged to answer the question why. By itself, it is literally meaningless in that it is only a mechanism, not a source of meaning. So too are politics, science, psychology, management, self-help techniques, and a host of other modern, modern theories. What Tolstoy wrote of a science applies to all of them. Science is meaningless because it gives no answer to a question. The only question important to us is, what shall we do and how shall we live? Answering the call of our creator is the ultimate why for living. It is the highest source of purpose in human existence. The Lord is calling you to himself. And as we are wrapping up here, I'm reminded of the story in the Old Testament about Elijah. He's the prophet Elijah, who you might kind of remember. I don't want to go into it too much, but he was uh, running for his life. He was fearful. He was uh, insecure. He was uh, uh, frustrated. Um, but he, he had just kind of lost the vision and the hope that was in him as he was being pursued uh, by Jezebel to take his, his life. So he went and he hid in a cave. And he was just like feeling sorry for himself. And God came to him. And I love how God comes to us because he always comes to us with such grace. And he speaks to him. And he, he doesn't speak to him in the earthquake or in the wind or in the fire. But he speaks to him in a still, small voice. And he just says this. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God's asking this question to Elijah, not because God's trying to figure out what he was doing, that, you know, why are you here? It's he wanted Elijah to think about it, to do some self-assessment, to really take some time in the solitude and the silence of the moment. What are you doing here? And Elijah began to pour out all his woes. I'm the only one doing this work, you know, the Israelites are being stubborn and and now my life is being sought for. And you know what? God had to remind him, you've lost your vision. You've lost what I've originally called you to do. And he begins to tell him, this is what I'm going to do through you. And he begins to lay out the plan. And he begins to restore that surge of vision into Elijah's heart. And then he says, and you are not alone. There are 7,000 others that have not bowed also. You men are not alone. You have one another. You have other godly men who want so much also to have their lives stand for something in God. You are not alone. So God is asking us the same question. Okay? What are you doing here? What is your call? What are you called for? What, what, has, what is stirring in you? Perhaps there hasn't been something stirring in you. So you know what? You need to spend time with God. There are no other shortcuts to get this understanding or to get this call, to get this vision. It has to come from God. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm a better person or if I do more ministry. No. It comes by spending time with your creator. It comes by knowing his word. And I sure hope you men are spending some time in, your, in, in this word. That is your, you know, people say, Oh, I really love this manual and this, you know, this, this book here. This is like my Bible. Well, you know, I hope your Bible is your Bible. 
that that is your source of instruction, your source of truth, your source of strength, your source of light. Because otherwise you're going to create your own little religion. The Bible is your anchor. It holds you to what is true. Okay. Um, I want I want to show you something here because I believe this is maybe perhaps some of us have found ourselves in this situation as God is trying to speak to you. Oh, let me make mention of this too. In, in all the things that I'm talking to you about, about searching and asking God about what is my life's purpose, I, I did make a little um, booklet for you that you're going to take home at, at, the, at the end. And really, I just want this to be a tool for you to take some quiet time before God and look through it. It talks about how to create your own personal mission statement. You know, too many times we're nebulous. We sort of go, yeah, I want to be a godly man. Yeah, I want to be a godly woman. But what does that look like? What does that mean? We need to really put some meat to that. We need, need to make it, you know, tangible. So in here, how to create a personal mission statement. Also, how to, to do a spiritual audit. Um, there's also recommended books in, in here and scriptures and, and an article. So I hope it blesses you that you take it very seriously as God is calling you for your next assignment. All right. We all have this, as, as, as you know, that uh, to know your calling, you've got to hear the caller. Some of us probably have become like this, okay? And we all have this around our house. This is a pencil holder. But we all have something like this around our house. Somehow that it was supposed to be, it has become something that it wasn't supposed to be. Okay? And this is a lot like us. Now, let me ask you men. You know, have we let fears or secular beliefs or carnal habits bind us? We need to begin to take that off. Take it off. Become free from that. Yeah, we had let have we had lust and pride and apathy embed themselves in us? God help us to remove that. Help us to take that out. Return us, Lord. Restore us back to what we were called to be. What this is what we were meant to be. And Lord, this is what you want us to remember that we were called to have your spirit fill us. We have let stuff be, bind us and embed themselves in us. We are meant to be filled by your spirit. We are meant to have our life flow over to touch the lives of other men. God, restore in us what we are meant to be. This is what you are meant to be. Life stirring in you. Do what God is calling you to do. Do what God is calling you to be. Whatever circumstances, whatever people, stop using them as an excuse. I can't because of that. I can't because of them. God saying, stand up. Be ye like men and fight. Do what you are called to do. I want to speak for myself as a woman. I want to speak for our women. We need you. We need your leadership. We are asking you to fight for God. Fight for us. Fight for the next generation. We need you. You bring value and we need you. 
I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a warrior going off to battle. We are the maidens who are seeing you off. And this is what we say to you. Go do what you're called to do. Go be what you're called to be. We believe in you. We believe you. Now get up on your horse and ride. We will be here for you. I thank you so much. And I pray that God will give you the strength and the courage 